Good day, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc, your book reviewer and author interviewer over at the Nerd Cantina. Today's Cantina conversation is a discussion with Mark Chestnut. Um, he's a travel writer and, you know, very experienced. And this was his memoir or a collection of small essays um, into a memoir called Prepare for Departure. Notes on a single mother, a misfit son, inevitable mortality, and the enduring allure of frequent flyer miles, which comes out on July 26th. I had a really nice conversation with Mark, just kind of learning about his life as a travel writer and his life and his experiences and, you know, basically preparing to say goodbye to his uh, dying mother and the last weeks caring for her and all the complications that come with that. So I think a lot of people um, who are, you know, also have maybe elderly parents or have had to say goodbye to their loved one, um, or even, you know, who has other uh, experiences that are similar to Mark's are really, they're really going to resonate with this conversation and also with his um, book. And it's an easy read because their chapters are pretty short, which everybody loves. And without further ado, here is Mark Chestnut. We've got Mark Chestnut today. We're talking about his collection of essays, like a memoir called Prepare for Departure. It comes out July 27th, correct? Or 26th? July 26th, actually. 26th. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Thank you, uh, Mark, for taking the time to meet with us today. Um, you know, I it was a nice change of pace for me, and I, you know, really enjoyed learning about your story and I liked the format that you chose to tell your story. And so um really excited to get the chance to chat with you today. Well, thank you so much for, for having me here. I really appreciate it, Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, so to get started, how about we go do like a synopsis? Um, if you could provide a synopsis so that like brief summary so that people um, listening along can, can follow along with the conversation. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I, I like to say, that the subtitle really sums it all up yeah. because it's a, super, <laughs> it's a super long subtitle, isn't it? Um, yes. But um, it's, it's the story of, of a single mother, a widowed mother and her misfit son and um, inevitable mortality and also the enduring allure of frequent flyer miles. Mm-hmm. So long story short, it, it's the story. It, it is a memoir, a collection of essays, and uh, it's the story of of my life with my mother uh, from the time of my childhood and my youth to the last months of her life, which uh, kind of is what started this look nostalgic look back at the fun and crazy and difficult moments that we experienced together, and also how all of that came together to kind of transform me transform me over time into being a travel writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was super fascinating. And I like how you were able to find ways to kind of tie all of that in to make to make everything like fit together. I thought that was really cool. Um, so what uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background, kind of like either as a travel writer or a collection of everything and then kind of maybe what led you? I know you kind of touched on it during the synopsis, but kind of like what led you like what inspired you to really sit down and tell your story? Really, it was my mother's illness uh, towards the end of her life. And so that's what really drove me because I never had a dream of, oh, I'm going to write some big memoir or, you know, I'm going to, I want to be a best-selling author. I'd love to be, but it was never, you know, something that I had in my, in mind um, to even try for. It was really the fact that I started going through such an emotional experience with my mother as she became ill that really pushed 
me because I started since I, I was already a writer, uh, mostly a travel writer, though, I was writing down everything that was happening to my mother and everything that was happening to me kind of as a, th- a therapeutic practice, I think, a therapeutic technique to deal with the situation. And as I did that, then I also started writing down, writing down everything that that was popping to my mind about our lives together, you know, or growing up and things like mm. that, you know, funny things and weird things and how I was such a weird kid and a nerd to fit in with the nerd can. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was because of that, the difficult moments really pushed me to explore this from a creative perspective and try to write it down. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's fascinating. Cause I try to get into journaling a little bit more, but it's hard to keep up since the birth of my second. I think I've been struggling to, I try to do once a month at least <laughs> to write down, flush things out once a month. And I, after reflecting, it's nice to kind of look back and see things that were like really troubling, but now, well, it's like the proof is on the paper that everything is okay. And you kind of, you kind of flushed it out and then, kind of to reflect on it even like the headspace you were in then versus the headspace that you're in when you're reading it later it's it's powerful i think so i thought that was really cool that that's how that started for you it kind of gives you perspective right mm-hmm. like even if, even if you're not writing it to publish it anywhere i and i still do I, i'm really bad about journaling also i i wish i would do it all the time because maybe then i could do another book or whatever <laughs> but um but i it's hard to find the time just like you said yeah. But even if I'm just upset about a whole bunch of different things that mean a bad mood, I might make a just a list, you know, like on a piece of paper, even everything that's annoying me right now or everything has got me sad right now, even if it's nothing major. And then I'll look at it in a couple of weeks and it is good. It's therapeutic because then you look at it like, oh, well, it turned out that wasn't a big deal after all. Yeah. Like that resolved itself. That thing I, I fixed myself. So it is it, it's it's very helpful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Why did you choose the format that you did, like a collection of essays to present your story? Well, because initially I was just driven to, to document everything that was going through uh, uh, everything we were going through my mother and me during the final months of her life. Um, But as I, as I continued to write all of that and all the details, I realized, you know, like a sick elderly woman in, in a nursing home, even my mother, who was that sick elderly woman, would have thought, well, that's one big downer, you know? <laughs> and also, it doesn't have as much depth. And so, in order to tie everything together, as I was, I was also thinking about happy memories and funny memories and, and sad memories or whatever, but from years and decades ago, it, it just started coming together as essays because I kind of started finding certain themes that I could tie into one chapter or one essay. Um, and some, some of them I actually wrote first for some small literary journals, but yeah, I was finding themes about like, oh, these things that happened to me in seventh grade or this thing that, you know, my, my mother talked about with my uncle and my grandparents, it ties into themes of racism or travel or coming out as gay or whatever, you know, a lot of different issues that kind of just work to, well together as, as a group of essays that there is a, a string that ties them all together and pulls them through. But you could, as you know, you know, just read a couple and yeah. still get, get a story from it. Yeah. And I like that. And I, I thought a lot, some of the um, titles of your, uh, of the chapters or the essays were really entertaining too, but um, I do appreciate that they were, uh, that they were shorter as well. Cause then I also think it's maybe a little bit easier to digest and, and also easier to get more engaged if, you know, you don't have to necessarily like put so much effort into tying everything like for the reader, the reader doesn't have to put so much time and effort and energy into 
remembering clues here and there or remembering significant points that will will tie the story together i think there's definitely an advantage of um to the reader as well for the way that you presented the story the the format that you used um well, thank you thank you yeah <laughs> i tried to make it accessible basically because yeah. you know i myself like i'm a writer but i don't necessarily read that much because uh, you know in terms of like big long books and and creative tomes and things like that and so i wanted to make every section so that it could be accessible and standalone and not daunting, you know, like I, I don't want to like bore somebody with a, with a 45 page chapter. I want it to be something that'll be energetic, even if it's dealing with difficult or sad issues yeah. I want it to be that you can get in and, and get involved emotionally and hopefully take something, you know, or relate to something about each, each part of the, each part of the book. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think, yeah, very well done. And it was a s- smart move for sure. So now you, um, you've you written other things, but mostly like articles or like guest feature columns and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I make my living as a travel writer. So yeah, totally. Di- I love it. But it's a totally different kind of writing because I'm writing like, you know, hotel reviews or, you know, the best things to do in Mexico City and stuff like that. So it's it's totally, totally different. It's not as personal. This is the first time I've really done something so personal. Yeah. So that's like kind of leading into like my next question is, so how did this experience differ from, from what you're, what you're used to, what you've been doing? It's, it's, it exposes you so much more, you know? So in a way it's scary because, you know, I write an article about, about an airline, you know, or a vacation package and I'm not putting anything out there about myself, you know, I mean, people can know about me, but it's not, it's nothing, you know, that personal. Whereas with this book, obviously, if you read the book, there's a lot of personal things about me and about my mother and about other family members. So it's just a different kind of thing. It's, it's so different. And in a way it's very cathartic because you are getting, you're sharing things and you're sharing pain and happiness and things that other people can relate to. And it's been wonderful, even though the book isn't quite out yet, some people have read it and just hearing about how people can relate to it because we all yeah. have stories, we all have experiences. So it's been really enriching. It's, it is a little bit nerve wracking in a way because, you know, once the book is fully out in just a couple of weeks, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if I get more comments about like the personal elements in the book. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's hard to tell because, and I, I am understand this nerve wracking because it's the vulnerable the way that it's a, the level of vulnerability that you're allowing yourself to share. And yeah, that can be super like anxiety inducing where you're just like, well, was this TMI or did I not need to say that? Or, right. you know? yeah, and, there, and there were a couple of times, you know, when we were, I, the book was all written, but you go through what they call developmental editing yeah. with, the, with the publisher. And so there are a couple of times when I'd wake up in the middle of the night and suddenly, you know how in the middle of the night you get fixed, fixated on random things. Like I'd wake up and be like, I don't know if I should be saying this one thing about this one person. You yeah. know? <laughs> I need to rework this. And then sometimes I would end up rephrasing slightly. And sometimes after I was fully awake, I'd realize, okay, I'm just being paranoid in the middle yeah. of the night. So it's a balancing <laughs> act really. Yeah. I imagine that. And so then did you have to, when you were going through that editing process, um, however many eyes you had on your work before being finalized, was it a lot or were, was there a lot of reassurance needed? you know, for other people to kind of reassure you, like, no, this is, this is okay. It's okay to, to be honest. It's okay to include this. Or, you know, did you ever get 
other um you know was it just you in the middle of the night or were there other moments where you were kind of like oh oh gosh you know <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of input actually from the developmental editor which was really helpful and uh, it's the book is published by this amazing indie publisher called vine leaves press mm-hmm. um and and they're such a great team and so they helped a lot but especially the developmental editor whose name is uh melanie faith she really went through it with a fine tooth comb with me and so she had some suggestions about you know like Oh, it looks like in this chapter, you don't quite say why your mother never moved back to Kentucky. You know, little she'd point out really good things like that. But also in terms of like exposure or, you know, risky stuff, she also made me much more aware of like the main thing really was was brand names and also being aware of like you do have to be careful what you write about other people, especially if they're Mm -hmm. living, that it can't be perceived if you're writing nonfiction, even though this is creative nonfiction, it can't be perceived as, you know, too detrimental to their image, you know? Mm. So, um, but even more so what I was surprised about with was how careful you have to be about brand names, you know? So like my mother always drove a Ford and she, she told me to, you know, think twice before mentioning Ford in every other scene. Okay. Which, which was, it was educational, you know, although if they ever make my, if they ever make my book into a streaming series, I want to make sure my mother's driving it forward. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's such a core part of like your memories with her. Like you grew up with her driving, driving a Ford, not a Chevy, like things like that, where it's just so integral into like into your memory. Yeah. And, and I think your- we all like it can picture, you can picture it better. If I say my mother was driving a 1973 Ford, blue Ford um, galaxy 500, instead of just saying, Oh, she is driving a blue sedan. It kind of makes it so generic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. How did this project affect your grieving process? And, and, you know, I know a lot of it at the center of it, it's preparing for departure, preparing mm-hmm. for that. So how the aftermath, like after your mother passed away, like how did doing this, you know, how did you use this to navigate, if at all, how the duration of grief or however long it takes, you know? It really did help a lot. It was really therapeutic. It was kind of like free therapy, although it cost a lot of time. (laughs) But um, no, it really did help because what it did, I guess, is it helped putting it down on paper, just like how we talked about just writing things down and looking at it later it helped me to kind of see things in a more objective way um, because I was writing down facts and feelings and then I could go back and read them later. Mm-hmm. And also I was able to, you know, since I was also writing about facts and feelings and occurrences from 30 years ago or 40 years ago, whatever, 20 years ago, it put things into context. And so I could realize that like, you know, at first all I was thinking about was how horrible the situation was and all that. But then I was able to put it in the context of like, this is this is a difficult ending, but to what was a really interesting and often fun and really good and good and sometimes funny story of our lives together. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate where, you know, both my parents are alive and in fairly good health. So I kind of when, you know, reading your stories, I was like. You know, it kind of makes me like as a reader wonder, like, I wonder what this process would be like for me, even if I'm not trying to publish a book just to like have some place to reflect and to write out and, you know, really think back on on those moments and how they shaped you. Because it's there are definitely a lot of significant moments in, um that you share where I can almost see like the light bulb saying like, like, nope, this is I don't know, I guess I, I keep referring to like core memory because it just that's the the term that I remember from 
Inside Out from that Pixar movie, Inside Out. So I think that's just the term that I'm going to use. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and it's such a significant moment where it does, it's just cool to kind of look back and see, like, how did that shape? How did that one significant moment shape? I think I really like the story that you told of, you know, you helped your mom with a um, a government campaign or a, a running for office. And, you know, she knew she was going to lose. Like, I love how you were reiterating how she was reiterating, like, we're just doing this. This is an experience. We're not trying to we're not expecting to win. And you still were so broken hearted. And you were like, well, were you like 14 at the time or? <laughs> Yeah, I think it was maybe 12 or 14. I yeah. was in 7th or 8th grade, so whatever that would have been. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, and I just thought... I, queen. <laughs> and I, but I mean, that was understandable, you know, because it's like you work so hard and even though she was preparing you for <laughs> like the outcome and you still like had a hard time and then um, your mother's like colleague or peer just tr- trying to, you know, have co- a few cocktails in trying to talk to you and you're just like running. But uh, yeah. 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 And, and, and then the presence of the cool of the cool, quote unquote, cool kids who like all I wanted to do was like, you know, not seem like a loser <laughs> or weirdo in front of them. And so, of course, like the drunk woman, like trying to comfort me, which is making it worse. And so then the, the co- kids, the cool kids watching me. And so, of course, I burst into tears and had to go and run and hide behind a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But my mother did everything to try to prepare me appropriately for that moment. So it was just it was just me being dramatic. <laughs> no, but it yeah, but it's understandable. It's it's so understandable because yeah, I think at that age too, it's it's hard to prepare for a uh, you know for a, a significant loss because you know like you you say to, you know again and again you're like I'm not good at sports like I I, I did try <laughs> like but I hated it and so it's like yeah that that competitive nature you just never like really ha- were in situations where you exposed yourself to the possibility of losing and you know you were just like no this isn't for me and i i i can prove it that i'm not doing this and so yeah like i guess other kids grow up and but maybe that was just your moment to like that had you had to experience it somehow some way and unfortunately maybe it came a little bit later because you were (laughs) you know just because the nature of your um your your taking to other activities probably one of my favorite favorite parts is like embarrassing it was probably for you that and you know but you it's a moment that you like opened yourself up and you described it like almost in real time and you found a way to tell it like like a story because you told you told the parts first where you're like, wait, what, like the, the situation first rather than the context. And then you got to the context so the reader could catch up because that initial like, wait, why is he, why is he trying to hide behind the wheel of a car? What's going on? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sobbing. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you you pointed out that story and that you like that. You like that chapter because yeah, I think embarrassing moments, as we know, like they're awful when they happen to you. And especially when you're a kid, mm-hmm. but sometimes when you look back, they're hilarious. And so you might as well be able to look back and, and, and appreciate the humor in addition to, you know, the heart act, heart yeah. or, or, or preteen angst or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it really is. It's unfortunate, but you have to, you have to get your butt kicked. You have to like eat shit. You have to mm-hmm. like go through that hard, gritty stuff to know and to, to, to build yourself up and, and to know the difference and to really like appreciate the, the other side of it, you know, coming out stronger and, you know, more experienced and, and more confident, hopefully, you know? <laughs> um, so the two part question, what were the most 
challenging parts to write and uh, what were the most enjoyable parts to write? Ooh, very good question. Um, the most challenging parts the, were really the ones that were set in quote, the quote unquote present of the book, which is when my mother, my mother's final nine months uh, uh, when she was alive, because obviously that was so emotional. Although in, the, in another, from another, in another respect, it was, it was most the, both challenging, but it was also super easy because it just flowed because every mm. day, you know, like we, like we both have said, we don't journal on a regular basis, but that the, during those nine months, like every day or every other day, I would just automatically be either typing stuff out on my cell phone or on my keyboard, you know, trying to document it. So it was super difficult, but it was, it was just so emotionally necessary for me that it flowed super well, even though it was like, you know, depressing to read as I, as I was rereading it. Um, mm. The enjoyable parts were, Stories like the like the like when I was hiding behind the car in, in tears after my mother lost her local election, because those are like stories that are are were humili- humiliating and embarrassing, but also really, really funny. And those are stories that I've been like my friend, my some of my best friends and some of my family members, we've been laughing about and retelling those stories. You know, oh, OK, friend, yeah. You know, my friends have like <laughs> stories that they share. And so. Stuff like that was was fun to actually finally write down because, you know, we've been talking about it for years and a couple of my best friends will still make references to that and make fun of me for it. So so I, I love being able to document some of those, you know, very memorable and, and funny and embarrassing experiences for my youth. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. And I do. Um, I did. I loved hearing the present day as well, where your process of like searching, just even just searching for somewhere where your mother would be and like where she would live. And that's and you got into the logistics of it, too. Like, yeah, you know, there's all this paperwork that and there's all these people involved. And that's it's it just adds like it's puts in a context like it adds like to the stress and to the you know, it's it's the behind the scenes that you you know if you're preparing for um, a loved one to as for their final days and or or weeks or whatever. And I loved hearing like how you made an effort to speak to everyone, to say hi to everyone, to always be in like personable, friendly mood. Because you know me, I that would not be like I imagine it's similar for a lot of people who are visiting. They would they wouldn't be in the mood or they wouldn't go out of their way to do that but I mm. felt like that was so important and and it really gave me perspective like maybe if I ever find that myself in that situation I should probably make an effort to <laughs> to do that too because it made me realize like you know because I just I'm, I don't know if I'm like an introvert or just like to keep to myself but I'm not that person who just you know says hi to everyone hi to strangers or make small talk but I feel like in that in an environment like that I I could definitely see that um, advantages and the importance and the significance of going out of your way to be friendly, to say hi, to, to show a smile, um, just things like that. And I, I was just so impressed. And also like, it gave me new perspective. Those are my favorite parts of like the present day ones of oh, you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's that I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that too, because yeah. And that's really something that my mother taught me to do back when I, when we were both younger and we would visit people from church who were in the nursing home or whatever. Mm. And my mother basically taught me to do that. And then I saw it, you know, firsthand, especially since I was visiting nursing, the nursing home where she was living every other day or every day sometimes. And so, yeah, I just feel like it's, it's, it can be a very sad life for people when they're alone. And so it, it's so easy, you know, to just go up to someone and say hello. And, and, 
almost everybody who I greeted, they, they appreciated it so much and they would smile. And, and some people were more verbal, you know, some people were more talkative than others. So I, it made me feel better to be able to, you know, to interact with other people as well as my mother. Although I, as I mentioned in the book, I think at one point my mother does say like, I don't want you talking to any of the other people too much because it takes away from our time together. Yeah. So <laughs> have limits and boundaries. <laughs> and that's so funny that your mom, you know, you, you were, she was still teaching you. You were still learning from her. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Um, so now that uh, you've been through like this process of like not only just, you know, caring for an elderly parent and taking care of all the non-fun stuff, but necessary stuff like the paperwork, just that whole process. And also like choosing to tell your story. What now that you've been through it, like, is there anything you've done differently? Are there any big lessons learned? Anything that would that you were surprised about? Stuff like that. One of the things that I've learned is that, although again, obviously the book isn't out to the general public yet, but there are several people like you who've, who've read parts or all of it. And so, what's really cool, I think, is to learn that obviously we've all we all have different experiences that we go through, whether it's you know a, a different a difficult childhood or we were misfits and when we were kids or dealing with this illness of a parent and all that. So it's been what I have learned and what's been really nice is to hear from people about the the issues and the topics they can relate to in this book, you know, because I think it helps us to, uh, it helps us all to be able to talk about things where they're, they're happy or sad or difficult Mm -hmm. or funny, whatever. So it's been really nice to feel like a sense of connection with, with readers and other people about all of that. So, um, I guess I've learned that, you know, putting, putting my experiences down on paper was a natural reaction, like an, an instinct for me, but it's like helped me in more ways than just, you know, getting it out, out of my head and onto paper, because it's actually provided us like you and me right now, we have the opportunity to talk about it. And I think talking about issues that we all experience in life in one way or another is really, is really a nice thing to be able to have the connection. Yeah. And I guess that's a new experience too, even though like you are a writer by profession, it's a different type because with the travel writing, you're mostly writing like recommendations, right? Like reviews and stuff. And so you're shifting gears and doing a different type of writing about like sharing your story. And so it's a different connection that you're making. It's a different way, a different line, a different channel to connect with, with exactly. uh, readers. Yeah, cause like, yeah. With, and I do hear from readers for my travel writing, but it'll be like, Oh, what do you think is the best all-inclusive hotel for families in Cancun? And so that's a way of connecting, but it's not quite as profound as, you know, what we're talking about now. And so like now, also there's one brief moment in my book, right, where I talk about how people made fun, some kids made fun of how I walked or they said they walked like a girl or whatever. So I tried to invent this new walk that I called the front wheel drive and it was <laughs> a spectacular disaster. It was so stupid and silly, but I recently I started telling my friends about it because it's in the book. And so they've started imitating it because I showed them how to do it. Yeah. So, and so I posted about that on my Facebook page and other people have been writing, oh, you know, other things that they've done, that they did when they were kids that were stupid things to try to fit in. So I think it like opens up really inter- interesting conversations. So we've all probably done some stupid things to try to fit in when we were like 10 years old or eight years old or 12. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I did follow because I saw on Instagram where you where you posted it and you had a friend imitate it. I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was so funny because yeah. the way you just the way you describe it is your book is like one thing, but then it's like another thing to see it in action. I was like, oh That's my goodness! With, with that particular part of the book, I felt like it had to be in, re- reenacted in video form for people to understand what how beautifully stupid it was. <laughs> 
and how much effort it took to like for you to just kind of disguise existence like the way you naturally are <laughs> just right, right. like to, the thing yeah we do when we try to fit in right <laughs> <laughs> i know oh god um so all right so this is like kind of like another three-part question all right so what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself when you're probably maybe when you were like a preteen or something like that where which is a lot of like where your childhood memories mm. i feel like that you share anyway in the book are, are kind of centered around what advice would you give to someone who is going through this stage in their life of caring for an elderly parent and doing all that um and then the other part of that question was which you kind of already do in the book, but what advice would you give to an aspiring travel writer? So we could tackle those three, okay, <laughs> however right. you want. Yeah, go for it. Well, let's start. We'll start with a message to my younger self, which would also, I guess, be my message mm-hmm. to any younger people who may be going through, you know, challenges or trying to figure out their place in the world, because mm-hmm. we all have a place in the world that's important. Um, so I guess I would, I would tell my younger kid, my younger self that, um, that it's okay to not fit in, which is something I did start learning luckily at a, at a fairly early age because, you know, my mother didn't try to push me too hard to, to be who I wasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, accept yourself as, 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 as who you are and appreciate what makes you different from, from everybody else or from most people. So I think that would be a main thing. And to, you know, follow your passions. And so like, I was always crazy about like, I liked writing, I liked drawing, I liked designing airplanes, I like collecting airline memorabilia, I was an airline nerd, and I still am. And so to follow your passions, because it can lead to something good in your life, I think. So that would be my answer to that for regarding um, what I would share with people who may be going through a similar experience with with, um, with aging or, or ill parents. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's a tough situation. It's really tough. Try to find ways that you can have support and time for yourself. That's important. So you need mm. to be able to, to vent and to share when you're going through difficult times. So whether it's coming home and writing everything out or, you know, having my husband actually like help me so much emotionally during that time period too. So having someone in family or friend who you can talk to and just, you know, bear it all, you know, show all your emotions, regardless, you know, you don't have to be all composed or anything. So that's important. And also, yeah, to just, you know, stay focused on your goal is to like, do all you can for your for your parents or your loved one. And so you do as much as you can, but you can never do everything. So you just Mm -hmm. do as much as you can and try to, you know, make sure that, you know, you're never going to regret what you've tried, what you've tried to do. So I think that would be some of my advice. Um, another thing. Uh, so the other question is about uh, aspiring travel writers, right? Um, so for that, I guess, um, yeah. And I do cover this in the book a little bit, although rather informally, and it's not very <laughs> professional, maybe some of the things I did on my path. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to start somewhere, basically, I would say, just like with anything. And so you, if, if you've never you know, had any writing published. And if you've never, you know, been involved in the travel industry, you probably are not going to get your travel article published in the New York Times or in Condé Nast Traveler or in Travel Weekly when you first start out. So don't, you know, you don't start at the top usually. And that's good. That's fine. You know, I started out by writing a free monthly column for this little free newspaper in Greenwich Village in New York City just to be able to get what they call clips. So then I could show it to other publications and websites that did pay. And so you build yourself up 
So I would say, you know, start small, but start somewhere. And so you don't have to have somebody paying you to write for a big name magazine in order mm-hmm. to do your own travel writing. Now, now, obviously, you can have your start your own local travel blog, even if you're just talking about the best restaurants in your city or your town or what's the great day trip, you know, the five great day trips. You can start like that and gain attention through social media. And then that can show your skills. And, yeah. with, and then you start contacting other media outlets and work your way up. Yeah. So it's a lot of uh, proactivity. Like you got to be really proactive about to really make it. Yeah. Cause I know, cause I, and you even mentioned it like, Oh, I know this is probably like a dream people's dream job, but it's not, you know, it's not as glamorous as it's cracked up to be. And right, right. so, okay. Uh, just a couple more questions before we wrap up. So I do like to travel. Obviously I haven't been doing it very recently, but um, are, what are like your top three, like, rec- like, like whenever people ask you for recommendations, like, what do you usually, um, what do you usually say? What comes to mind? Oh, like in terms of destinations or, mm-hmm. or what? for destinations? Um, well, like personally, I'm really, I'm really drawn to big cities because I like museums and I like going out though. Not as much now that I'm not as young as I used to eat, but um, mm-hmm. I really like eating, like having lots of different kinds of food and stuff so, and, 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 you know, culture and, and, stuff like that. So I really love big cities. So one of my favorite places in the world, I'm going to be heading there again at the end of this month is Mexico city, because for those of us in the United States, it's, it's super close, you know, so it's, it's easy to get to. And it's, it's bigger than New York city, just to put it in context, it's larger than any city in the United States or Canada. And um, it has, it has everything you could possibly want except a beach, but it's, it's cheaper than anywhere in the United States. There's amazing hotels, great Airbnb. So that's one of my uh, top three things. Um, I also, you know, in terms of some of my favorites that I recommend, uh, South Africa, I think is amazing and multicultural and has such fantastic history and culture. Um, it's a lot further away for those of us in North America, obviously, uh, but I've been twice. So that's something to, to <coughs> spend time and, and money or, or frequent flyer miles for. Yeah. Um, so those are those are a couple of my favorite places. But, you know, I find that I guess this is why I'm a travel writer, because I find something to, to like or to be fascinated by in almost everywhere that I've gone. So, you know, I've been to Europe and Africa and and Asia and and up and down the, this hemisphere, the Western hemisphere. And I feel like every destination is really a matter of of deciding what is important to you. So if you're really just into beaches or you want like a small town laid back atmosphere, mm-hmm. my recommendations are different. Uh, compared to if you want like big city excitement or you want nightlife or you want yeah. big events or something like that. So it depends, but people can always actually follow me on, on, um, on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And if they have questions, I do, I do like to, to give recommendations based on people's tastes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good point. Cause it depends on what your vibe is. It depends on what you like to do when you're on, if you're, if you like to just relax take it easy. There's a different place. than if you want to like, you have a packed itinerary, for example, you know, like, um, do you like, have you ever been like on an escorted tour, like a tour or do you like kind of roaming about like on your own? I, I like both actually. Um, in general, I tend to go more on the individual thing, you know, self-guided and I do research obviously, but then I go, I go around on my own. Although I may, even in those cases, I may still hire like a local guide for one day because then you can kind of control it and, and just focus on one, on a few activities in one day or sites. Um, but for some destinations, I think that guided tours work really well, like in Egypt, for example, and in Morocco, I've only been to each of those once. If I went back, maybe I would do some independent stuff, 
but for first time visitors to like magnificent destinations like Egypt or Morocco, where there's so much to see and it's spread out and there's a lot of history and there's also language issues because yeah. I don't speak Arabic, for example. So I think guided tours can really be helpful when you're trying to cover a lot of territory or going somewhere where you don't speak the language. Um, but if I speak the language, I only speak English and, and Spanish, but when, if, if I speak the language that makes me less likely to, to do that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, did you learn any other, so when you travel, do you like make an effort to speak the local languages or maybe there's like not enough time because you have to work? <laughs> yeah, there's well, if it's Spanish, like I already speak enough Spanish to get along. So I speak only in Spanish with people if I'm visiting, you know, anywhere in Mexico or, or Central or South America. Um, if it's a country where I haven't really studied the language at all, like in Brazil, for example, where they speak Portuguese or I was just in Curacao where they speak Papimiento, a language that's like a. Uh, a Creole language that's a combination of other languages. I always try to learn a little bit because I think people appreciate it. You know, even if you're just saying, hi, how are you? Or how much does this cost? Or where's the bathroom? Or that's pretty, something like that. I think people really appreciate you making an effort. Yeah. So I try to learn at least a few words, even if I'm just there for a few days and I have no idea how to say much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, um, I, cause I did an escort tour with my husband's family to Italy and it was like two weeks cause we visited like the whole country and, um, I made an effort to, to learn Italian. And then shortly after that, I hopped, I piggybacked on, um, I tagged along on a work trip. My husband was going on to Germany. So oh, cool. I tried to learn some German as well, but you're right. They do, they do appreciate like, the effort at the very, the very least. Cause there, but, but sometimes I don't know things that I, I, I find that it's like when you're, you're hearing it like from a native speaker, mm-hmm. it's, it depends on like the regional dialect. It depends on any slang. It depends on yes. any, like just at how oh, they speak so fast too. So sometimes right. I'm like, you know, I'm like, wait, what? And then they're like English. <laughs> like, it's so, right, like right. yeah, I try. Yeah, you can take actual classes, but then when you get there, sometimes people will turn around and talk to you and you're like, what? Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. So it's good to make an effort, but yeah, a lot of times, luckily, you know, luckily for us, the English is one of the, the international languages that a lot of people, you know, speak at least to a certain extent. So that's a little easier. I don't know. I don't know if I could learn English if it weren't my first language, because it's really complicated. It really is. It's really is. I think the older you get, you realize how difficult it is to learn English. Yeah. And like the way it's spelled and versus the way it's pronounced, it like doesn't make sense half the time. Whereas in like Spanish or Italian, if you say the word, you know, how to pronounce it based on how it's written in English yeah. is like a word like through T R T H R O U G H. Like, how do we get that? Anyway, no. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's read versus read and right. like, it's like, what? Yeah. It's, it's so crazy, but I, I do find it fascinating for people like in your profession, for example, or if they're in a industry or, or profession where they, it requires them to, uh, you know, travel a lot or spend time in other other countries. I just think it's really fascinating because it's like when you got it's like, yeah, as I got older, I realized like, holy crap, there's like a whole this world is so much larger than I thought I knew. And mm-hmm. how fascinating it is to like, you know, like, yeah, of course, like, why wouldn't someone from, you know, Asia also be a travel writer going to Canada or going to Mexico or going, you know, it's like why right. it's it's yeah, it's crazy once you like spin it around and realize like, yeah, why wouldn't they be, why wouldn't they be doing that? Um, right. Right. And what is yeah. your favorite destination that you've visited? Do you have a favorite? Um, so 
favorite i know this is kind of touristy but niagara <laughs> falls is up there oh yeah um i just remember i just really liked the energy there and uh the activities but i've also i mean my 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 mom's side of the family is uh mexican and so i have family in mexico oh, um cool. both the yeah, and tijuana and so that that was an example i was saying like i i i could get along spanish just fine I, i'm not fluent but mm-hmm. speaking to my family who have that tj slang i'm like you know, <laughs> that's what I'm, I just like, wait, what? Um, but no, and they, and luckily most of them know enough English so we can, we could still like communicate right, right. and spend time together. But um, yeah, I do, I do, I do like the beaches. So I think anything with a beach, I just like to, to do nothing. And, um, but I also like, it depends. I like to have a rough plan, but I would say Mexico is just probably just because um, I don't know. I've been there a bunch of times, but if I had to pick a place, um, in Italy, when we visited like 14 cities, I would say probably Florence was my top. Yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite. And then I just did a bucket list uh, before the pandemic hit was Ireland. And we did a oh, escorted nice. tour. And that was really cool, too. Um, and it was really it was less packed than other escorted tours I've been on. So that was nice because right. it was it takes like what, four hours to get from one side of the island to the other. So it really wasn't. Right, right. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think all time favorite, I think the first thing that came to mind was Niagara Falls because I think it just, it had almost like everything. Like it was enough for us to enjoy um, by ourselves. This is before we had kids, but I don't know if I like had to choose, but I, we did, I did like Gatlinburg too. So I don't know. I would say first thing that comes to mind is probably Niagara Falls. And then a close second would be like Florence. I did like Florence. Um, yeah. That's yeah. That's beautiful. I yeah. Gatlinburg, but I grew up I, where I grew yeah, up. Yeah. You don't, you know about like it. Niagara Falls. We went there <laughs> yeah. every single time we had visitors from out of town. We go okay. To Falls. So yeah, I love it. There is a lot of stuff to do, and those falls really are impressive. I mean, they're yeah. Just so we went powerful. to the can the can Canadian side, so um, it's so much nicer. Unfortunately, the U.S. side is not that attractive. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, I think we heard that, so that's why we went ahead and just drove. We we drove to uh, Canada, and which was which was nice because then we like we didn't have to worry about. Um, it's nice that, you know, you know, I'm sure, you know, you know, like advantages of driving versus uh, worrying about flying. But I mean, you like flying, too. So I think I thought it was so funny, like reading about how when you were younger, you just like play pretend creating your own airlines and you and you and your friend went off on an excursion and like to go rob an, <laughs> rob an airport for just more decorations for whatever you guys were doing. I thought that was so funny. And I'm just like, I, I love, I just appreciated your mom even more so for just being like, yeah, okay, why not? Like, oh, I know. She was, can you imagine the patience that's required? Like if you, if your kid like wanted to bring home like tons of airline memorabilia that was, some of it was, was probably stolen. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Oh man. Since I guess since my sister was so much older and she didn't live at home, it was just my mother and me and we had a big house. So like, I guess she figured there's enough space for me to to have my crazy collection of airline paraphernalia. (laughs) I just think that's so funny. Like as, as a young, just as a child, like that's what you gravitated towards. Cause I don't know if I've, I've, cause it's just so, it's so like unique. It's I've never heard of any kid like becoming obsessed and, and, and loving, airline so much to me it, it seems weird. it's a little kooky but it that's yeah. i feel like that's so funny and that's kind of awesome <laughs> and it was kind of a miracle really that i accidentally sat next to the only other kid in my entire school system who happened to also be into airlines and so in seventh grade like that made my life so much better when i met jj because 
he understood like my obsession with that stuff. And we, you know, egged each other on and, and, and yeah. all that. It, was really, it was really, really lucky that I got to meet him. Yeah. That's, I, I love that too. Cause you always hope that like, yeah, okay. People are, kids are weird and, and kids can younger kids can be mean too. But I, that's one thing I hope for. It's like, if my, you know, my son, he's pretty, my older one, he's pretty good at making friends, but I hope like at worst comes to worse. At least he has like one friend like that, that can share in his like goofy little, interests if he has anyway because he's gonna be five so he's still he's still kind of young he's still at that age of like robots and transformers and stuff so we oh, like cool. that's fun too that's fun. yeah yeah and you know my husband loves it too because it's but it's really like it's 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 easy easy to entertain him easy to like you know i don't have to drive him to an airport to go like be entertained it's, oh exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah people do not want to go to airports in their free time <laughs> so, uh, but i did back then yeah <laughs> that's so funny Oh, the cover is pretty cool. There's a lot to look at. So how did how did that process go? Like, how did you know, did you have like a vision board or anything like that? It's actually all the work of this amazing designer who also happens to be the publisher of uh, um, at, at Vine Leaves Press, Jessica Bell. And she's she's an amazing designer as well as an amazing publisher and, and head of the of the company of the publishing company. So she really took. Um, I, I, you know, they asked me a series of questions about, you know, what might I, what might, uh, might I envision, um, but they handled it all. She did it all. Um, so I just gave her some ideas about like, well, obviously like travels an ongoing theme. Uh, the prepare for departure title is like a, a double entendre really about travel, but also about, about death. Um, so kind of tying that in, but then also the other good thing is this is kind of thanks to my mother, but if you notice on the cover, there's like a photo of an air, an aircraft, Mm -hmm. then that's, that's a model plane that I painted, I guess in seventh or eighth grade of my fake airline, my imaginary airline. Yeah. (laughs) And there's also like a ticket jacket. I'm looking at it right now, just to make sure. I love, I love that it's your background right now. That's yeah, so cool. yeah. So I made that as a ticket jacket, and luckily my mother never threw anything out. And so even though that I I made that model plane and and did that ticket jacket decades ago, she never threw it out. So oh. I so I eventually when she moved out of her house, I I had to throw out the model plane, but not until I photographed it. So I did some really nice shots. So I have those as a as a um, as a souvenir, and then I kept the ticket the fake ticket jackets and all the paper stuff because that doesn't doesn't take much room. So I scanned all of that, sent that to Jessica, the designer, and she I was so happy that she was able to use a lot of that as visuals because that makes it it's so much more personal. It's not like stock images or anything. It's just weird visual graphic representations of my strange childhood which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it really does it sounds like it does look like after reading the book it looks like oh this is uh if if you were a book cover so <laughs> right it, yeah yeah so she fitting. really read it well yeah <laughs> that's fitting that's awesome and i'm glad it turned out really well too and that you had a good experience with that because some authors are like I didn't get any say, but it worked out because I love it. <laughs> so it, it could really like, oh, so yeah, I always get curious yeah. as to how to, how that process goes. Cause it's, it's different for everyone sometimes. Right. Um, and I was so surprised. Cause like I submitted all these visuals to her and I thought like, well, there's, they're not going to be interested in my fake airline that I had when I was in middle school. So, but I sent everything. Cause I'm like, might as well just send them all these visuals. So they can use it as inspiration. So when she first sent the cover back to me for, for me to take a look at, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she used my model airplane that I, that I painted <laughs> with Chessway Global Airlines. It was like, I was surprised, but in, in the most pleasant of ways, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I love, I love that. Before we uh, wrap up here, do you have like any future projects, anything that's next or just going back to business as usual for you? 
I'm back to business as usual already because I'm always writing travel articles. So I'm busy with that. Um, and I have my own travel blog, which is called latinflyer.com. And that's about mm. travel in Latin America, especially Mexico, because that's one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, I love and that. Um, so I'm busy with that and busy promoting this book. This is my first creative nonfiction book. And so it's the first time I'm really going out and doing wonderful interviews like this one. Yeah. That done. <laughs> and um I, I am interested in maybe, you know, working on, on another book at some point, but I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the direction is. And I feel like in a way I want to know more about what people say about it, like all the amazing feedback and comments that you've just get, just provided. It helps me to think more about what I might want to do in the future. So I thank you so much for sharing oh, all of your comments. No, absolutely. And I, you know, it's like I said, cause a lot of the books I, I read are, lately it's been like crime crime fiction like suspense and thriller which i'm a sucker for but Uh it's always nice for stuff like this where it's like a change of pace and it's i just you know i I like learning about people's stories especially if they're different than my own which your story is very much different than mine so it was i i really enjoyed um and i really appreciate that you were you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and you went for it and that you know you shared the level that you that you did even if you weren't totally comfortable with it or if you had second guesses i think um you know and i really like the format too like i said with the collection of essays it's and you found a ways to tie them all together and you know go back between the past and the present and it kind of it just adds that extra layer and it adds that extra like thought of oh maybe you know maybe there's a connection here type of thing and and of course there are so it's you know memoirs there's a whole they're a whole new ball game so yeah just you know but i feel like you're you know you're very brave nonetheless (laughs) and you know memoirs it's really hard to sell memoirs to publishers because if you're not famous if you're not angelina jolie or brad pitt or something you know they say people don't care and so that's why i've tried to when I, as I was putting the final book together, I was really trying to keep in mind, you know, this, this isn't really, this isn't my memoir so much as it's a story about two people and a family and it's, and it's things that people can, other people can relate to and get something out of. So I, I, you know, I've, I've tried to keep that in mind that it's not, it's not about, it's not just about me or just about my mother. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a story. And I guess that's why they call it creative nonfiction, but yeah, yeah. I really appreciate your comments. Oh, no, of course. Of course. Um, do you have, before we sign off, do you, um, do you want to share like your social media where people can find you? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Instagram is a great way to follow me and that's Mundera, M-U-N-D-E-R-A. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter, although I don't use Twitter as much, Mundera Media. You can find me, um, you can also find me on YouTube, Latin Flyer TV, um, if the, the, the place where you can go to find all of me, all of me everywhere, <laughs> all of my channels, if you go to markchestnut.com, okay. uh, just make sure to note that chestnut is spelled, um, C H E S N U T. Um, so there's no T in the middle and Mark is with Got it. So there's a country music singer named Mark Chestnut with two T's at the end. And I sometimes get email for him and I sing, but not professionally. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> I think I did notice that when I was trying to like do a little um, background uh, insight into like what you have out there. And yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, no, this is not who I'm trying right. to find. There was, was also tricky. a Mark Chestnut who's an editor at the, I think the NRA in-house publication. And that oh, is gosh. also not me. That is also yeah. not me. <laughs> he pops up sometimes too in Google searches, but that is not me. I swear. So, so I, <laughs> I don't want there to be any confusion about that. <laughs> we got Mark Chestnut, prepare for departure. 
um, out July 26th. Thank you so much. This was really enjoyable. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out. I think maybe you might be, you know, if I want to look, think about my next destination or if I want to do any research on any destinations, I'll, you know, I'll keep you on my list of, uh, of, of things, places to consult. Absolutely. Let me know. Well, thank you so much for your time, Megan. I really appreciate you uh, reading the book and also uh, spending this time with me to, to chat about it. It's been a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. And there you have it. That was Mark Chestnut talking about his upcoming release, Prepare for Departure, notes on a single mother, a misfit son, inevitable mortality, and the enduring allure of frequent flyer miles. That mouthful of a title will be available on July 26th. Um, You can look at the show notes to see uh, links to purchase and follow Mark on social media. Um, I follow him on Instagram and it's pretty enjoyable to seeing all his uh, exciting adventures from his career. And also read my entire book review on thenerdcantina.com and check out other book reviews if you're looking for uh, your next book that you want to read. And as always, rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening.